this week we'll talk about designing a data science organization. And we have a special guest today, Lisa. Lisa is a director of data science for Twitter, and she leads an organization of 200 data scientists. Before that, uh, Lisa worked at Microsoft, and maybe you'll tell us a bit more about that. So yeah, welcome to our event. Thanks for having me. Yeah, before we go into our main topic of today, which is designing data science organization, uh, let's start with your background. Can you tell us about your career journey so far? Yeah, let's see. My background is in uh, math and sciences. Uh, my bachelor and master were in applied math. Um, I was applying that towards various engineering sciences. So really passionate about just like the, the application of math and data towards various real world scenarios and applications. Let's see, I started my career after various internships in academia and industry. I started my full-time career at Microsoft. Originally, I was in the developer division, uh, working on Visual Studio, the C-sharp and Visual Basic languages. I was working on the IDE and user experience around those languages as well. And so that was a great opportunity just to, to really, while I was working on a product that was geared for developers to learn about you know, building software in the tech industry and all the various best practices that come with that. Um, and it's been interesting, actually, to see how some of those can be applied towards data science, the way that we run data science projects as well. As my role there evolved from working in product to looking at customer feedback, and then over time, increasingly, you know, big data was growing in the industry, and we we're interested in more of the quantitative in addition to the qualitative feedback. Then I started working on our telemetry systems, um, our product analytics, performance, as well as things like our overall metrics that we we're using to run the business and our various business reviews, and then data science techniques that we started employing to understand the usage patterns of our users as well. So I was doing that role within Visual Studio for some time. And then as the cloud was growing and we were increasing our, our focus on Azure within the company, then I moved to a data science organization for Azure. And I was in that org um, as it grew over several years and, and was leading a data science team within our, what we were calling Microsoft Cloud Data Sciences. So again, we had a lot of focus on Azure um, over time as the org was growing, but also started working on like the intersection with Microsoft Teams, um, Power BI, and other cloud services as well. So in that role, you know, we were doing data science for the product, looking at kind of the retention of different services and how different features and changes impact and improve that, but also working with the business program. So with our, our marketing team on lifetime value of users and optimizing our paid media and spend efforts in that way, um, working with our support team also with various optimizations on our support practices, um, our field and cross level, et cetera. And then uh, most recently, I moved to a role within Twitter, the one that you mentioned at the start. And so started off working on our discovery and connection teams, which is all about how users come to the product and then engage within the product. And I'm currently leading data science across the Twitter product itself. So all the, the features that you know and get to use on a regular basis, using data to really help drive our decisions and also improve the various ML models that help run the user experience as well. And in addition to the Twitter product, my org also extends across the platform. And so that includes various aspects of using data and science to evolve our infrastructure strategy, experimentation platform, developer experience, et cetera. Yeah, you've, at Microsoft, you touched pretty much everything, right? Like the quite a, for how long did you work there i was at microsoft for 17 years and yeah. so the was there and then back in september i moved over to twitter 
Okay, yeah, that's amazing. I yeah, I remember switching from Delphi to C sharp, and like I was pretty amazed. It was long, long time ago. I don't do C sharp anymore, but yeah, that was amazing. And uh, a Twitter, like, does everyone at Twitter have to have a Twitter account? It's not required, but um, <laughs> it is encouraged. Yeah, I mean, I think with any any product you're working on, it's good to. To use the product at Microsoft, we call it like dog fooding the product, and you get a, a first-hand experience mm -hmm. of all the things that you work on. All right. So some time ago, I came across your article, which was about designing a data science organization. And actually, this is what I wanted to talk about in this podcast episode. And you start this article. I think you wrote actually it back at Microsoft, right? It is, it's a couple of years old, I think, or maybe one year old. I don't remember, but it's not something you published yesterday, right? So it was still back at uh, Microsoft. So you start this article with a section to centralize or decentralize. Can you tell us more what you mean by that? Like, why is it even a choice? Like, why do we have to think about this? Yeah, the, I mean, the topic came up because it's something that I was observing across Microsoft at the time. There were certain engineering product teams within Azure that might have an embedded data science. They just found that they you know, needed that function. And so you're kind of like you're running a business, you can add whatever function you need in that role. Um, and I've seen this at a few other companies as well. And so an engineering manager, for example, and then they might have one or two individual contributor data scientists reporting to them directly. And then the other paradigm that I saw is that you would have a centralized data science organization where data scientists were reporting to data science managers, but then they would work in somewhat of a embedded way with the stakeholders so that they were essentially aligned with various partners in that way. And so I was, you know, just reflecting on the different pros and cons of the two different models and then how to set up for success in either construct to ensure that you kind of cater to the leverage the pros, the benefits, as well as solve for the, the cons. Mm -hmm. So the second one, you mentioned centralized data science team. So you, you said that there is a data science manager, but the other part I didn't quite get. So you said that they are still embedded. Yeah, we can go back maybe to the Azure example. So you would have, so we had like a, a whole organization, you know, with a, a VP and then managers of managers for across the various areas, all of data science and data engineering. We can talk about like the different roles within data, but it's a data organization. And then the embedding is essentially, you know, how you structure within that organization. So you would align to, let's say, a part of the team that was working with our partners, a part of the team that was working on startups, a part that worked on, you know, Azure for developers. And so each of those teams would align with another um, business group of product managers, engineers, design, research, marketing, etc. So although they directly reported within this broad data science org, they still had this connection to a stakeholder versus the other model was where they would actually be fully embedded with a solid line, meaning like they reported to that other function. So this one is decentralized, right? So the, the one you just described. Yes. Okay. So in the decentralized, you have a team that works on a specific part of the product or whatever. So a specific area of responsibilities. In your example, it was like a team that works with startups within Azure, for example, right? Right. And then in this team, we have an engineering manager, maybe a product manager, a bunch of other people. And then there are also data scientists in this team. And the data scientists report to the EM, right? And this is decentralized in the sense that you have a bunch of teams like that. And in every team or in some teams that need data science, they have data scientists. 
right? right. And they are spread ac across the organization, right? So it's not like just one place where they sit. They are everywhere. They are they where they are needed, right? Yeah. This is the decentralized part. Okay, and embedded, the term means that you take data scientists and you embed them in the team that works on some area, right? Yes. Okay, and then the other thing, centralized? I think between the like centralized and decentralized, sometimes I mentioned that ultimately there can also be a hybrid where you kind of centralize at a certain level, but it's not like there's just one data science organization for the whole company. Mm -hmm. And in this example, centralized could be like a team that has a data science manager and then, I don't know, eight data scientists reporting to the manager. And then maybe we actually don't just have one team. There is there are multiple teams. Each has a data science manager. Then maybe there is a head of data science. And they are just somehow isolated, right? They are central. Yes. Okay. And then the hybrid is, you said, like, how do you actually combine this two? Well, the last one that you mentioned is essentially the hybrid. Like it's centralized to a certain level, but there's still multiple across the company. And that's uh -huh. ultimately the most common model that I've seen at, at both companies. Because, for example, Microsoft is such a large company. You could say it's almost like multiple companies, so many different products. So there's not just one data science org across the entire company. There's kind of a dedicated central of master gravity for Xbox, for Azure for developer division, for different groups in that way. Mm -hmm. And Twitter as well, we're um, divided into a few different functions. So for example, there's another data science organization for our ads and revenue. Mm -hmm. Let's take this example. So we have a data team or data org that is responsible for ads and revenue, right? You said, so we have a bunch of, a few teams, right? There are a couple of teams. What kind of... Uh, structure do they have? Is it like data scientists reporting to data science manager? Yes. Yeah. So there's a head of data science for that entire division. But then, for example, I mentioned them, you know, leading data science for the, the product experience. And so there is more than one org in that way. However, within those two groups, you know, you have the data scientists reporting together. Mm -hmm. And then these data scientists, do they just sit together as a team isolated from the rest of the company? Or how do they actually work together on, let's say, because this ads and monetization, it doesn't exist in isolation, right? So you actually need to display ads and, and there is a product team with backend developers, frontend developers, product manager that is responsible for this, right? So how do data scientists interact with these people there? Do they sit together? Do they sit alone? Like, how does this work? Yeah, so in, in any of these models that you set up for, you need the data scientists to be working with the different functions because all the, the work that we do, I mean, there's there's some if you own a model that you can just, you know, fully, I suppose, iterate on within the DS org and run that in production. But I think for most of the changes that we're making, whether it's like a program change that we're suggesting or a product change that we've, you know, seen and we recommend it based on the data. You know, we need other functions to partner with. We need the engineers to develop it. We need the product managers and the designers to help design that user experience. We need the, the research team to also partner with them on what they're hearing from the, the users in terms of the verbatim experience directly. And so, yeah, all of these, you know, sometimes I call it like you need a good catcher for all of the different ideas to help act on it. And the impact of the data scientists is only so far as those ideas get socialized, adopted, and then acted on, and then you see the impact of those 
changes um, in measurable ways. And so, yeah, I think in all these models, the data scientists need to work closely with these other functions. And so that's where some of the, the pros and cons come into play um, regarding the different models in terms of what they enable and what they make harder, and then how you solve for that, no matter what model you're in. So to summarize this and make sure I understood you correctly. So you have the team of data scientists, or sorry, you have a team a feature team and then you embed data scientists there the main difference between centralized and decentralized way of arranging this is in one case in the decentralized case the data scientists report to engineering manager and in the other case in the centralized case data scientists report to data science manager but in these two cases both of them are embedded in the feature teams right correct and so you know, if you are reporting directly within the feature team, that embedding happens naturally. Like you're already included in all of the team rhythms and forums. You have all the context on the domain, which is a key area that any data scientist needs to be successful. You just kind of get that through osmosis. You're immersing it with the team that you're in day to day. You're in all of the all hands, like um, connected with that team and the mission. Yeah, and then perhaps on the other side, the business owners they always have like dedicated resourcing that is aligned with their area that they have you know that's fully kind of in their control versus that might be being prioritized um, across the org so yeah maybe going back to the data scientist experience as you're in that that model reporting the, the business area it makes it really easy to one get that context as well as have the team right there directly to be able to to act on the recommendations that you make in the other model where you're centralized, you have to be proactive about that. And I think it works best also when you have partners that are having that top of mind and really looking at each function as equal partners. Within Twitter, we have a, a culture around like each function being co-owners. And so, you know, including each one directly is just kind of the, the default within each of the forums. Um, you have engineering, design, product research, and data science as well, working together there, whether that's at the very beginning of the cycle at like the strategy and planning as well as like as you go on to the, the product roadmap and feature changes and kind of measuring the different hypotheses that you had tried as well. Just wanted to make sure I understood this, uh, what you said, each function is a co-owner. By function, you mean you have like a data science function, you have uh, analytics function, you have product management function, software engineering function, right? But then everyone sits in the same team. Yeah, so we're all reporting to separate teams. So it requires yeah. a little bit more of an effort. You have to make sure that you know you have forums where everybody can come together, that your Slack channels and Google group, you know, are including everybody. You don't mm -hmm. <laughs> not on any anyone there, which is kind of straightforward and but it just requires like ongoing mm -hmm. there. But I guess a team has to have uh, some sort of rhythm, right? Some sort of ceremonies and things like this. So for example, like you start with planning, then you work for two weeks, then you finish with, I don't know, a retrospective, some sort of process, right? And then everyone from different functions have to come together, right? And they have to align to work at the same pace, right? Work together, which is what I mean by working as one team, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. This is how it's done. Correct. And there, there's always, you know, you're kind of getting into the planning process and how that works across functions. and. Yeah, there's always an aspect of coordination and dependency management that come into play there. Um, you want to have alignment across the roadmaps of each of the respective disciplines, functions within the, the team area. We generally have like certain company schedules around those planning cycles, or that's going to quarterly or 
twice a year or, you know, even kind of getting more granular from there. And so, you know, let's say product setting a roadmap, engineering setting a roadmap, they're done in conversations coordinating together, but the details of what each function needs to do is, you know, somewhat distinct. And so as each team is creating that for themselves, as they plan what they're going to execute on, they kind of need a, to sequence that a bit so that folks can align and work together there as well for dependency management. And co-ownership part is about like, let's say if we take data scientists, it doesn't mean that data scientists just focus on data science. They probably take area that are close to data science as well. Like, I don't know, some bits of engineering, some bits of analytics. So they are not just alone, but also know what's going on in general in the domain where they work on. Yes, I think there's an aspect there regarding the the work you end up doing about like how hard you kind of set the line between the roles and responsibilities. But I think for the co-ownership, I think the main thing that comes to mind for me is, you know, each role feeling like, you know, they have a voice in any discussion and not being confined in like what's traditionally expected from that function. And so, you know, that can come into play as like we're we're deciding on the, the product strategy and direction. You know, you really want to leverage the superpowers of each function and kind of the unique experiences that they have, perspectives, and incorporate that into the the direction. Because engineers might have seen more, you know, the different experiments that they had ran over time and they have that in mind product, like might have different designs that they've tried and they know has worked as have not. DS has like seen the data for various areas. And so you really want to kind of hear from all of the reflections that each role has on like whether you know this is going to be a good plan or not or how we should try it and how to de-risk or maybe playing devil's advocate and thinking about a certain direction we're taking, like should we consider from another lens? So it's really powerful to bring together like that diversity of voices and perspectives as we make a plan. But on the surface, it looks a bit complicated, right? Because you have like a lot of functions who are not really connected if you think about the hierarchical of structures, but they still have somehow work together and move to the same direction. And they somehow need to agree what this direction is, right? And there are many moving parts. And then the left hand sort of does not always know what the right hand is doing. Is it the right impression? Like, how does this even work? Yeah, it does require that coordination together. And I think maybe another aspect that I often take into account with the designing a data science org is that cross-functional alignment really at each level of the organization. So, you know, for myself, I should have a direct product engineering design research partner um, within each of the product areas. Let's say it's the home timeline, the search experience, et cetera. You know, the data science manager for that area has a corresponding counterpart in each of the functions. And so that's kind of their their regular group that they're working with on a a very frequent, regular basis. Um, And then the individual is also, you know, sync with those teams. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you have to have this alignment on each level. So the individual contributors have to align to agree with each other what they work on. Then data science manager has to agree with engineering manager, with product manager, with, I don't know, something else manager, with product analytics manager, right? And then one level up, we have heads off, right? So they have to agree. Maybe the direction is more broader. And then you as a director of data science need to talk to director of product, director of analytics, right? Like maybe here you more think about strategy rather than particular details, right? And then you have above you VPs, right? Who also need to agree. <laughs> okay, that sounds complex, but it works, doesn't 
Yeah, I think I've seen, you know, overall, like a shared interest across the different functions. And so it doesn't feel necessarily like there are conflicts in terms of priorities or directions. We have a shared set of goals. We do use the objective and key result framework. Um, I have that kind of both at, at Microsoft and at Twitter. And so that's a really unifying factor where you're all working towards, you know, a common set of, of goals that you've agreed on together. DS plays a key role in terms of defining those as well. And then, you know, you have your regular rhythms where you're walking through and checking on your progress. Or the, is the direction that we set out seem promising and showing results? Are we executing well, kind of execution reviews? And so these are all ways that we can continue to stay in sync and aligned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm taking a lot of notes because I want to come back to this and talk about that. But I wanted to also take a step back and again come back to this centralized versus decentralized. I think we talked about what we call centralized, right? But yeah, I also wanted to talk about this decentralized part. So from what you describe, it seems like at Microsoft and at Twitter, you more have like a centralized approach, right? I mean, I would say maybe the hybrid where it's centralized per division, but there's multiple of them across the company. Mm -hmm. I mean, with Twitter being like a smaller company than Microsoft, there's fewer of them. And then, yeah, Microsoft essentially each of the product areas as a central one for that product area. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a bit about decentralized one. So what are the pros and cons of uh, having data scientists report to engineering manager without having data science manager, head of data science and so on? Yeah, so I mean, often it comes about again, because the leader within that group, they know that data science is going to be a key function for their success. And so they they fund a certain number of roles around data science that are going to be fully dedicated to the work that they do. And we were discussing before, the, the data scientist gets all the context of the domain that they're working on um, just immersively within the group. And then they also have a group that's there to directly act on you know, the results of their work. And so those are some of the pros. I think you know, around the time when I wrote that article, I think one thing I was hearing was you know, folks that were working in that model where they would reach a point where they would start seeking a broader data science org with where they would have peers of data scientists that they could work with together, share more of their ideas, get feedback, brainstorm together, work on more team projects together across different data scientists. And then also in terms of like career path and mentorship and just seeing like the, the different stages of career within the organization that was attractive you know, or maybe one thing that was more challenging within um, the other model where if all their peers were engineers, maybe people didn't really understand the nature of their craft as well. And maybe as you're having like a end of year performance discussion, it, it might be a little bit harder with that manager to have all of the, the context and history about that specific career ladder. Um, whereas if you're in more of a peer group, um, there's a little bit more of that default understanding by default, and then maybe some natural different career stages that you can um, experience. Then I'm, I was also thinking, like I asked you in the centralized way, when everyone is taking care of their own stuff, there are too many moving parts. So here, I guess one advantage, I don't know if it's an advantage, but this is uh, like a key feature, let's say, that only the engineering manager takes the decisions, or maybe the, they have the product counterpart, so the EM and PM, they work on this, but it's fewer people who need to take decision, right? So in case that there is disagreement, maybe it's easier to, well, 
there are no disagreements probably it's just okay we just do it this way right while in the other scenario you might have some friction right you might have different views on the direction on how to approach things right and it can be both good and bad right yeah i was gonna add that point as well i think that can be both good and bad you have fewer decision owners in that sense so easier to make the call on the direction but maybe you actually do want that you know additional leader's voice in the room if you really want to make sure that the voice of data science is in those leadership forums and helping set the direction and so yeah to your point it can be one more opinion that maybe makes decision harder but maybe it's actually healthy to have that debate okay and what are the cons of the centralized approach like what are the disadvantages yeah i think with the centralized you just have to really make a more concerted effort to one get the context so for example sometimes i can hear from stakeholders of like well data scientists seem more removed or the work seems more academic i'm not sure the direct application that's going to have in my area and so the, the data scientists definitely need to grow that context um, whether that's through like you know using the product researching the product understanding that the user research kind of the work from the other functions and the product roadmap ahead so that they you know they're kind of in the forum discussing with their partners you know the ideas ahead and then they can kind of go off and have areas where they are doing data science led projects um you know ideas that they've come up on their own but they they're applicable it's applicable to the business where like you bring it back to the stakeholder and say oh wow this is very insightful. This is very useful. I'm going to use it in this way. I wouldn't have thought about it, but now it's exactly what we need. And so um, it's just, I guess, really on the data scientists to build that context in that way and then ensure that the product team is like at a, a place in engineering that they can act on it in their roadmap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so this thing you mentioned, like more academic, more removed. I guess having these shared goals that you mentioned, like if you align on every level, if you have these shared goals on every level that kind of helps data scientists to stay focused on the end goal on the product right. rather than okay what is the next paper i am going to implement now and try right so you kind of keep this focused yeah we talked about the context there's a few different factors that contribute there you know another one is just the way that the data scientist team data science team shares their work the language that we use i think whenever you're giving a a presentation, for example, you always want to be mindful of your audience and putting things in their language and context and framing. And so, again, that's part of like building that context so that you can help position this within the plans. But I agree, as you pointed out, the common goals are a great way to um, to frame that. Mm-hmm. And by the language, I guess you mean things like, okay, we improved our AUC by 10% and now precision and recall are better. And to, like the audience and the like who is watching this, a you what right exactly so you you need to be able to come down to their level i guess and then explain things in other terms so that they can relate and understand what these numbers actually mean yeah find a common language or reference i guess i don't usually use like the going up or down because again they're all like equal partners and they we want to find like a common language that everyone has in their vocabulary and Mm -hmm. i think I find it's actually useful for the data scientists as well, as much as we need to like distill our message into the key takeaway, like what's the salient statistic or data point that like really lands the message of this broader 
five page paper that you wrote or involved analysis, like having to go through that process of like writing the exact summary and key takeaway points often like requires some work, but it really crystallizes the thought and the, the recommendation coming out of the data science work that we do. And let's say we just want to start with data science in our company. How do we select the right approach? Sure. I mean, I think if you're talking about just starting with data science in the company, then it might also suggest something about just like the size of the company as well. Yeah, I guess like, a, I don't know, a couple of hundred people, not a startup, but not like a massive organization either. So yeah, let's say just a couple of hundred people, established product. Yeah, something like that. It's a good question. I guess as we've been discussing along the way, like there are pros and cons <laughs> of each approach. I think typically as you're starting off establishing the data science org and function within the group, you know, there's going to be a lot of focus on establishing the pipelines, like setting the data engineering, the architecture up front. And then, I mean, I feel like a lot of the initial foundational work is essentially the the counting, just like getting the baselines and the numbers is really hard to do much beyond that until you have like that analytical foundation. And then from there, we can continue to expand the, the data science work and opportunities. But I think, you know, establishing that core architecture where you have reliable data, clean data, the data quality up front, you know, I think, yeah, you can do that again within the respective teams as they're focused on data science for their various areas, but there is value in terms of bringing that together so that you get synergies, efficiencies, and you also have um, data from different parts of the organization working together. I guess maybe that's one other point that I should raise as we kind of discuss these pros and cons is that if you have data science fully distributed, you might end up having like conflicting results from different parts of the organization. That's It's not completely a non-issue in the centralized data science org. It's something I still focus on with my org as well. I shouldn't have like one team giving a conflicting recommendation to the stakeholder than somebody else or have us give, use different approaches or techniques, but at least there's kind of more of a forum to bring folks together. I do recommend in the distributed model, even if you don't have that data science reporting together that, you know, you create more of a community. So I think that's a way that you simulate it in that model as well, where you have maybe a learning group or a, a show and share where you kind of get together, you share about your work, you get to your feedback and ideas from others on you know ways they might approach it or things that they would recommend to keep in mind. So what is that? First, we need to, to have the foundation like pay pipelines, analytics, and then I guess this can also be centralized, right? So you have like a central team or whatever function that takes care of this. And then once this foundation is ready, then maybe you can just get data scientists and start placing them in this central function with data engineers and analysts and then from there it will grow like i guess you'll know organically what is the best way for you from there right based on where the the needs are and where you see the highest leverage investments you know i think each period i'm often reflecting about like the the work that we did in different areas and where we had the biggest impact and then kind of like deeper invest in the areas where you're having an impact or where you know it aligns with the overall strategy and direction of the company and the priorities Mm -hmm. We have a question, how many data scientists will I need? How to estimate this before starting a project? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. You know, there's a number of different ratios used in the industry. I think if you have eight engineers to one data scientist, that's kind of a reasonable place to land. And there's ranges higher and lower than that, but it's a, a reasonable reference point. Mm -hmm. 
Um, by engineers, you mean front-end engineers, back-end engineers, data engineers, everyone engineers, right? You're correct. Like there might be some areas that require more data science than others. So I would say, you know, engineers that, you know, that have direct scenarios that data scientists can influence. Mm -hmm. But it has to be strictly more than zero engineers in the team where you hire data scientists, right? I would say likely yes, yeah. Um, otherwise, there would be you know, no one to really act on the mm -hmm. work that we do. Yeah, and you know there are a few different types of roles that you could consider in between the engineering and data science group. Like there's the machine learning engineer who is helping um, develop the models in production, and so that's like a very close partnership with the data science team as well. Like we might evaluate different signals in the models, different algorithms, looking at the impact of different objective functions, things of that nature. But then, you know, there's a close partnership with that, the machine learning expert within the engineering team as well. So there's maybe a few like graduated areas across, but yeah, in terms of like if you're software engineer coding, yeah, I would say you should have a non-zero number. Yeah, but I'm just wondering, let's take Twitter as an example. I don't know how it happened in Twitter, but let's go 10 years back in time and then there was probably a time when people at Twitter realized that uh, chronological sorting of the feed maybe is not the best way of showing things to people. So let's have Frank in there. And they thought, okay, like how many people do we actually need? Let's see, we have 800 engineers, so we can hire 100 data scientists to work on this. Or probably it wasn't how it happened, right? Yeah, it wasn't exactly how it happened, but um, yeah. I think that that is the discussion that we have today as we're staffing the teams. I would say like our engineering team is actually very supportive of growing data science. They see the direct value and benefit they get to use. So often they'll actually fund the headcount within the data science organization. And, and we do use things like those ratios to, you know, just give us a reasonable mm -hmm. reference point as we do the planning across the organization. And also as we're comparing how we're staffed across different team areas. But yeah, it didn't exactly <laughs> happen that way. I think for the data science team, you know, it's something that we need to consistently advocate for, not from just a growing an empire of the org, but really just from a standpoint of like, how can we have critical mass to be able to engage on the depth of that level within each area? If you have a very thin data science org, it's just hard to get very deep in terms of like the, the strategy and direction. You have to either just choose, hey, we're gonna have data science on some areas and just zero on others so we can really have like the quality engagement that and one, or you end up just spreading so thin that you're just kind of covering basic ground in terms of helping the business see, you know, how we're tracking or progressing, but yeah, hard to have kind of like the level of depth of analysis to really recommend the strategy and direction. Yeah, I'm just trying to kind of understand and summarize that because there was a lot of information. So thin here means that like how much ground the data science uh, part covers, like and theme meaning that maybe there are not so many data scientists and then they do pretty much everything. They take care of many, many domains. And then non-theme would be like when it, they go deeper in one of the areas, for example, I don't know, ads. So then the, there is a team who focuses exclusively on ads, right? And then would be the opposite of theme, right? Correct. Yeah. And I'm kind of even thinking like, I think ads is fairly broad, but even to kind of like a more specific level, if you can have, mm -hmm. yeah, like there's a number of different content creation forms. There's 
spaces, there's communities. You know, if you just have one data scientist across all these different areas, the amount of time that they have to spend just getting context, getting to know the data sets is is going to be like a pretty high proportion of their time. And so they'll be able to share general insights just within those areas. But in terms of like really be able to go deep in that strategy and and have the close partnership with like each individual product leader, it's a little bit more limited. Okay. I'll ask another question. So the question is, I'm interested what happens when data scientists finds a huge discovery in data. To whom do they report these findings? Is it head of data science? Is it PM? Is it PO? Engineering manager, somebody in the team, somebody up in the hierarchy? Yeah, I mean, all, all of the above. I would say, like, we try to share within the data science organization first or frequently because that's where, you know, I mentioned we, we try to share the approaches and findings so that they're not conflicting and there's opportunity to have different questions and ideas and ensure that as we bring those perspectives together, we give our most well-found recommendations. So we usually have some forum within the DS team where we get to share either the work in progress or the final result. But communicating the the results of our work is like a huge topic. And at both companies I've worked at, you know, we've had different publishing forums, you always want to have an archive where you can find the research that the team has had over the years. And so some kind of like searchable site where you can search at all the research for specific areas or across the teams. That's really important for like knowledge share and transfer and institutional knowledge over time as folks are onboarding, et cetera. But then you also need like a, a push mechanism within to each of the folks that we were discussing whether here, you know, we have like a Slack channel that's about how we share ongoing insights. We have one for DS and one for, for research because we would like to think about like the quant and qual insights holistically together as we're, we're gaining our user and product understanding. But we point them out on a frequent basis within like the live forums that we have, the synchronous as well as the asynchronous, whether it's a newsletter or an email or updates that we share. So I think for any function like, you know, the say it, say it again, and then say it again. But you have to kind of, it feels like you're over-communicating, but often there's, you know, folks across the organization that just don't know about this. And I think, you know, for everyone to be well-educated and versed within our data is really critical for all the roles. But of course, you can prioritize within all the folks you're communicating to, you know, once you go through that DS round, then, you know, it's making sure that you speak directly with the folks who are going to be able to act on this, probably who I would prioritize in that list. Mm-hmm. So who this thing affects most, right? Does it uh, affect the user experience and maybe go talk to researchers, right? And product managers. Yeah. Or is it like an error in date? Then go talk to the engineers, right? Or is it a new algorithm? Then go to researchers. Exactly. If it's like a parameter tuning, you're going to work directly with the engineering team who's going to actually make that change in the, the code. Yeah, if it's something about the, the user experience that you explore, like an insight about how users are actually engaging with the product or experiment that we launched and kind of the, the findings based on that, then we'll be talking with someone who's designing that experience more, whether that's product or, or design. Okay, yeah, there is something else I wanted to talk about, which is I took a look at your LinkedIn and then what you do at Twitter. And then I took a look at one of the paragraphs you wrote there. And it says, partnering closely with product management, engineering, design, research, to pursue data-driven product innovation and achieving strategic goals. So this is quite a packed sentence to me. So this is a short sentence, but there is a lot in this sentence. So yeah, I wanted to spend some time trying to understand what it means and decompose it. 
So yeah, I wanted to start with the first thing here. So partnering closely with product management. So how important it is to closely to partner with them? Um, it's essential. Yeah, I think we kind of as we've been discussing, we need to partner closely with product and engineering in order for any of the the work that we do to actually see life and make a difference and be acted on. Because I guess the product managers, at least in my experience, these are the people who actually know what is important for the user. So they are kind of the most important stakeholders, right? So they show you the direction and then it's up to you to understand how to implement this. So they say users have this problem and you need as a data scientist, as a director of data science, you need to think, okay, how can I use now data science to actually solve this problem? And then you run this by product managers and ask, okay, do you think this is something that will help, right? And this is the kind of conversation you have with them, right? To understand really where to go. So the strategy part comes from them, right? The problems come from them and then you are more like the solution. Maybe yes and no. So like, so I would say that the product function is like the de facto leader for that overall roadmap. I think maybe going back to the the co-owner, I think that's why we developed that term because the the strategy, we really want like all the functions to feel responsible for contributing to that. But it's true that the the product team is the one who's really bringing that together and communicating that in a holistic way and driving that really for the the broader team. Yeah, so we'll we'll work across the functions to discuss that strategy. You know, product will will capture it and bring that together and really take the lead on that and then driving that forward. And then, you know, I think a number of the types of interactions that come up, for example, between product and DS will be, okay, we we've decided that we're going to take this strategy and direction. What is the best way to measure success? So then the data science team will be the driver or the owner for that. And, you know, product will prove it to kind of confirm, okay, that is capturing, you know, the goal or the intent of, of what we had in mind here. There are other engagements that come up around experimentation. What are the, the ship criteria for changes that we put into place? So for example, I think in both companies, we've had a way to you know, run experiments like holistically and have a view that all functions can use to look at the results of the experiments and the, the way the different metrics move. But like if one metric goes up and another one goes down, the data science team is responsible for establishing what is the recommended trade-off across these when it comes into guardrails and things of that nature. And then you have kind of a model for doing the experiment review across the functions to interpret that. And you know, generally you're following that, but you can also have room for interpretation based on the specific scenario that was launched and what's appropriate there. So yeah, those are a few examples, I think, of like that data science and product interaction. Mm-hmm. Do you have uh, product analysts or it's mostly data scientists who do analytics? We also have analysts within the team. So this is uh, analysts, uh, they are kind of the part of the data science team, because to me, all you described, not all, but some of these, like analyzing metrics and, you know, looking at uh, how these metrics uh, conflict with each other. This is something that analysts typically do, right? Or this is more like what data scientists do or both? No, it's a good point regarding kind of the further differentiation between the roles there. I think, you know, our analysts have been really driving a lot of the data democratization for these metrics. So as the metrics are developed, you know, putting those in a a dashboard or a a discoverable environment that everyone can use to track and really leading a lot of the descriptive work, like what has occurred. Some of these 
like determining what the the leading indicators are like do require various ES analyses. And so there is like an interaction that occurs there. And then I would say like depending on the nature of the product area, like there are also some very um, ML heavy areas. Let's say that's like the home timeline ranking feed, for example, whereas the data scientist is engaging more there. It does require like a deeper data science construct to be able to engage with both product on kind of the the roadmap for that area, as well as, you know, maybe getting into how GS is engaging with the engineering team there. They're a little bit more focused in those algorithms as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, so I think we talked about like, how do you partner with them and uh, the examples? I think it also comes back a little bit when we talked about goal setting and uh, objectives and key results and so on. Is it uh, essentially the main tool that you use for partnering with engineering, product design and research, like all these goal setting frameworks and then alignments, or there is more to that? I would say that that is a key kind of cornerstone of that alignment. Because I think, you know, as you have a set of shared goals and common interests across the team, everything else kind of falls from there, whether that's, you know, resourcing, the types of projects that you take on. I guess one family we didn't really discuss is also just the you know, we try to have a set of time that the data science team can have to just explore more broadly, like the user behavior and new insights that actually recommend what is the next thing we should pursue on the product roadmap. And so I think having that common view of the goals and success, again, or that common context to make sure that that doesn't just come out of left field and seem like something that's not as relevant. Like it, it's a way to see that oh, we, we all have an agreed upon view of, you know, what we're trying to drive in terms of success and then can move towards that model. And then maybe just keeping like various, you know, communication forums or that's synchronous or asynchronous so that we're reflecting together. I think as we go through those processes, we have postmortems or retrospectives, whatever term you, you prefer to say, okay, what, you know, this was our goal. This was what we tried. What worked? What didn't work? What can we learn from this for next time? And how often it happens, maybe not specifically at Twitter, but just in your experience that in this kind of setup, different functions have conflict goals. So let's say data science wants to go more in data science while in the product area, backend engineers, they want to spend more, I don't know, on other things. Let's say, I don't know, decoupling, like working on uh, removing technical debt while data scientists need actually engineers to help them with some of the stuff. And then you have this natural conflict, right? So because engineers want to spend time on this thing and data science wants them to spend time on other things. And now you need to decide what you do in the next quarter. And I guess this situation happens quite often, right? So how do you resolve these little conflicts? Yeah, I think that data science actually has a really key role in, in driving those discussions. For example, we've had several like strategy discussions in the past, or organizational discussions where if you can have everybody looking at the common data around like what the relative opportunity sizing is, for example, across these opportunities, then, then we establish this common ground so that we can all prioritize this from a, a common lens. Mm -hmm. So basically you convince with data, see what will happen if we do X, right? And then everyone, wow, that's so cool. Let's drop everything and do this, right? Exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and coming back to this sentence, so partnering closely with product management, engineering, design, and research, we covered that, to pursue data-driven product innovation. So what is data-driven product innovation? Is this thing we just discussed, like 
this is what happens if we do X and then everyone is, wow, let's do this. Yeah, essentially it's really looking to learn and guide the product from the data. And so I think like the best cultures or environments for data science is, you know, when you have teams that are really open and curious to learn from the data in that way um, versus having like maybe an, an attachment to a certain idea or product design, um, really being able to view it objectively across the group and then use data to track our, our progress and check our hypotheses and have that guiding force. Mm -hmm. So the main part here is having trust in your data and then being able to use this data to show, okay, this is the direction we should go. And this is the new cool thing we should try because it probably will affect this metric we care about, right? And then this is how you do data-driven product innovation. Right. And then checking and you know validating that along the way. Yeah, of course. One point I'll just mention, because you were talking about partnering across the functions, research is also an interesting one where we really try to do mm -hmm. joint research together across the, you know, more of the, the user studies and qualitative research as well as the data science research. And so, you know, sometimes they can each can spark ideas for the other, like maybe the researcher might hear things that give us ideas of different data sets to explore or to kind of understand that, see how representative it is across the data. And then research as well can kind of take the, the data findings and then, you know, try to understand a little bit more the why or the psychology behind it, what users are thinking or feeling when they when mm -hmm. that way. Yeah. Okay. So the audience of these podcasts are mostly data scientists, I assume, or data folks. So is there one single thing you can recommend them to do if they work with uh, researchers to learn from them, to, you know, do what you just said, like to get inspiration from them? Is there something they can do to learn from them? Yeah, I mean, I think just keeping an open mind and curiosity on kind of what they're finding and seeing. I think one challenge that it, we can have from data scientists when we're viewing research studies is that, you know, the sample sizes are often smaller than what we're accustomed mm -hmm. to. So I think it's really easy to say, you know, we don't know how representative that is, et cetera. And what's the power of your test, right? Exactly. <laughs> just trying to kind of take that lens of like, well, what could I learn from this? Maybe if that's not, you know, in the full proportionate context, like maybe I can take that idea and then I can go study in the data and see how representative it is. Or can we set up the study in a way so that like, anonymize and following LPAI by users, we can kind of confirm that, okay, we have a, a certain cohort within each of the representative cohorts, a certain you know, representative sample within each of the cohorts we're, we're interested to study. So I think there are a few ways to bridge that. But yeah, I would say just kind of you know, trying to, to take a lens of what we can learn from it. Yeah. If somebody wants to find you and ask a question, what is the best way of doing this? Is it Twitter or some other place? Yeah, I think you've shared on the podcast like my, my Twitter handle, LinkedIn, um, either of those work as well. Okay, great. Did you maybe also want to mention something, but didn't have a chance to? This was great. Yeah, no, I love the conversation. Thank you for driving through all the different topics and exploring here. So yeah, great to chat with you about all this. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks for joining us. It was great. And yeah, enjoy your weekend. That's great. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Goodbye, everyone.